0: You're still old to me, all of you are old. I know,
1: I'm like your dad. You can call me daddy. I don't
0: think I'm going to do that, but...
1: (laughs) Welcome to Shirts and Ties, a culture and education podcast. I'm Casey Shirts.
0: And I'm Brian Miller.
1: Brian, uh, what's the plan today? What are we going to talk about?
0: Uh, I want to talk about a program that our district recently installed uh called Responsibility Centered Discipline. Uh, and the brainchild behind it all is a man named Larry Thompson. Um I'll throw in the in the notes um, on this on this episode some links to his books and whatever. Um but it is to me it's it's a big deal right now. Um because as we consistently see this this shift in education where Academics doesn't really seem to be the primary focus, or, we, if, or if we want it to be, we need to add this huge component, which is behaviors um, and, and purpose and, and all that kind of stuff. And so he kind of gives a fantastic outline, and I want to kind of walk through it largely because I believe in it, and also because I disagree with it slightly. Um, but I think for you and me, I can just kind of provide some, some ideas, and then for anyone listening, it's, it's a easy framework to follow
1: can I ask you a question, though, as we get sure. going, are kids worse behaved today than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years my, ago?
0: My wife and I have this discussion a lot, and we kind of blow it up even just to like the world at large is the world worse. I'm more of the opinion that we're not any worse. We just have more access to hearing the stories. Um, she's more of the opinion of it is worse in terms of more ideas are being spread about how to be evil or how to be unkind. I think it's easier to be unkind and it's easier to be evil. So it can be stuff like online bullying and access to to guns and access to, to mass places, right, where you can do great harm. Um, I don't think we're any more evil, but I have a hard time actually really standing on that because school is radically different from what I was in school and definitely from when you were in school. I think you guys still have... Chalk and chalkboards, and <laughs> you brought coal to school <laughs> They heat the one room schoolhouse.
1: Yes, uh, it, it, little newsies and me just hanging out together. Yeah, uh, I have another question, and I don't want to spend too much time here on this, but like we, we also have to remember that when we were in school, our perception of what was happening in school was very different than as the adults who are responsible for what Agreed. occurs. I, I do think that. When people find like-minded groups who are interested in the same chaos and they could join in that, or they're in some way given permission to join into that chaos and that hate, I think that we're probably in a stage in history where where that's happening, where people are empowered to do things they should yeah. not. Uh, yeah. and that's happened before, uh, but I think we're there now. So I guess that would be my argument.
0: Yeah, and I would say that there's some other external factors as well that is causing um, a little bit of disruption in our schools. I would say that the the growing percentage of um, single family homes is a problem. Um, I think, and I don't know. I don't mean a problem of like you are a problem, but the the ramifications of a child growing up without full support, without two parents, or without two people being able to provide support in multiple different ways, I think is aiding in, in some things. But I also, I've wondered with this, and you can tell me what you think, education has is, is changed a lot for the better in that we have been very conscientious of not excluding kids who need support. If I can remember from my limited perspective of a child in middle school and high school, if you were a behavior child, if you had any sort of uh, mental illnesses or disabilities or, or needs, there was kind of a shipping out, right? Like you didn't, you weren't a part of Gen Ed, and so we didn't see it as much. Is that true? And is, is that memory sound? Yeah. Okay? In
1: uh, despite your various jokes, I haven't been in education that much longer than you. Uh, <laughs> but I will tell you that in when I first started, which was two thousand one, to me that felt like a transition period where we were starting to include more and more kids. And I can tell you, I do recall the group of kids that were excluded that i never saw unless i looked in that room you know when i was in middle school and high school and and i think that that is a wonderful thing but in doing that and and having a more more diverse population you have more and more values and ideals and actions that are butting up against each other and that might be part of what contributes to some of the 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 chaos
0: and and i think too just generically i think and what i love about rcd Um, responsibility-centered discipline is I think that we collectively, but even in schools and now between schools and in the communities that they serve, um, there is differences of Of ethics there's differences of what is good and good and right and true so even just this morning i'm listening to a book on the way in the book is called lessons in chemistry by bonnie uh i think is how you say her last name um it's an interesting just fictional story but there was a a moment this morning that i kind of cocked my head a little bit because the one of the characters is wrestling with to do the right thing he's being he was just encouraged by his friend just do what's right just do what's right and so he said that to himself and then the action that quickly followed, which was him doing the right thing. I was like, that's not the right thing at all. <laughs> like that was very yeah. unkind. Right. And so we kind of have that as well, where we just have, a, um, I'm not saying it's, it's better or worse. We just have a difference of what is right. Yeah. And kind of permeating everywhere. It-
1: I haven't been able to get into the uh, responsibility-centered discipline. Um, You told me about it last week, said, hey, I want to talk about it. And so I I just did a little looking into it. But that was going to be one of my questions right away is, like, who gets to decide what the the correct worldview is? Who gets to decide right and wrong? And so those are going to be a a couple of things that I'm maybe going to ask. Let me dive into it because because he does
0: say. Um, Larry Thompson, he does say that in order for this to work, you have to have an agreed upon foundation of understanding and truth. So that has to come from your staff. And, and you and I both know that if a foundation of, Hey, here's our pillars of, of truth is given to a staff it's probably not going to go really well so it has to be from the from the grassroots it has to come from the staff and we did this at the beginning of the year um, where we sat together for half a day and it was what are we going to say what's important to us what is what are our foundational truths and we came up with pride Um, and so pride is perseverance respect integrity discipline and empathy Right, and so that poster is everywhere in our school. It's in my office, it's in classrooms, it's in the hallways. Um, and so at any given time when we are having conversations, when we feel like a child needs discipline or uh, intervention, we point to those five things and are you know are you being empathetic? Are you persevering? Uh, and I feel like no one can be upset with those five, right they don't offend anybody, but you can kind of tuck everything underneath one of those five things. Yeah. And
1: I sometimes wonder if in my building, you know, we have the three R's respect, responsibility, and relationships, but it is not ingrained in our culture in a way that maybe it needs to be. Also, I don't know if how much say our staff had because we've had that for over a decade since I got here. So I don't know if that was, which a is staff fine. I but I just,
0: and in, in, so a lot of schools are like that sitting down though and refining that every now and then you don't have to change it but just like do we still believe in these how is this going to look let's give some some topics of conversation and so he does say and i have found it has made my job much more simple simple much simpler there it is that's the word i want to say much simpler when i have a student in my office um, that i can point to a poster which one of these right are we trying to talk about now also from my perspective this conversation has impacted my ability to work with teachers because the same applies to teachers. And as I was sitting in his conference and walking through his workshops, what I found myself most considering was my parents because his five, he says, give, give, give him five, his five uh, components of this framework apply to everybody. I, I do it with my kids. Uh, I do it with my wife, with with the parents. It just applies everywhere. And so I kind of want to walk through it but the foundational truth of whatever it is your school believes, but also probably what you believe they have to be foundational um, and they cannot be shifting. So that's, that's key. Number one, whatever you're going to do, be articulate, be clear and be consistent.
1: So is that one of the five uh, takeaways or five? So tell me again about these five. Okay. Tell me about these five. things. Uh,
0: Well, let me just ask you really quick Uh, in your long life. What (laughs) uh, give me a moment that you remember discipline on the positive or the negative but just as you look back like man this moment this this person intervened and it impacted me in a way that i never wanted to be around that person again or it drew me so close to that person that they were my best friend or they were my mentor for life
1: as a core memory and i don't know if this fits into that category of being disciplined um, but I, I do think it was a teacher's effort to kind of get down to it and figure out if I was doing what was right or, or what was wrong. And I was in, it, it must've been junior year. I was in advanced math. I was always pretty good at math. So it was the highest level math and we were doing some trig and boy, I loved it. I was all in. I, it was so much fun. And so I took the first quiz and got a hundred, took the second quiz, got a 98. Took the test, got 100. Just loved it. And uh, my teacher, a little skeptical because nobody else had those scores.
0: Mm.
1: It it was supposed to be difficult work. He just said to me, he's like, how are you getting these scores? Are you cheating?
0: Mm.
1: And it was like, he's like he's accusing me of something and, and uh, he's asking me this question and he's like, he wants to get to the bottom of this. How are you getting these scores? Hmm. And I felt like he was, you know, trying to punish me or discipline me in some way for something I hadn't even done. Hmm. Um, And it was like, for me, I was like, all right, I'm done with you. I'm out. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I think that's, especially if we can consider I was just about ready to say we can consider young minds. But again, I'm thinking of just even a a conversation that I had yesterday with a parent that I probably did not exercise the five components of our school pride all that well, where she ended up calling my bosses and saying, Hey, you know, Miller isn't these things. Now my boss is kind enough to know that um, she's a frequent flyer as we, so as we say, uh, but there's still elements of it that I could have done better. And so one of Larry Thompson's quotes from his book uh, that I have really appreciated is relationships impact learning and most relationships are not damaged in good times. They are damaged in challenging moments. And that to me is another kind of foundational piece to all of this. What is the goal of our discipline? What is the goal of pulling a child into your office, calling a parent, calling one of my staff into my office or going into their classroom? If the goal is to hammer out Uh, behavior. There are very few things in life where behaviors need to immediately and will immediately change, right? Most of the time, it's going to take time. And so even in this RCD process, there is an understanding that it is a relationships and relationships take time and that we need to handle these kind of moments of frustration and anger and hurt very cautiously because it can be moments of growth. It can be moments where we look back and say, man, uh, you built trust in that moment. We built a relationship at that moment. We built understanding in that moment if it's handled delicately. If it's handled kind of like how you just said with uh, an assumption of fault or with assumption of evil, we break down pretty quick. So are you ready?
1: I'm ready. Let's hear it.
0: Okay. Um, so he has says, give, give me five, right? Give him five. And so at any given time, there's five key components that you have to walk through. All of them, but the fifth one can come in a variety. They're not um, linear, right? You don't have to go through one, two, three, four, five. The only one that maintains its its, its moment is closure, right? And I'll talk about closure when you get that. The rest of the other four are fluid. So, but I'm going to walk through them. Number one is, he says it's support. So when you have a child or a staff member or a parent in your office and they're frustrated or they're in trouble, we have to support them. Now, I'm going to push on him a little bit. His definition of support is focus on the student's strengths or focus on the person's strength. And I think at times that works uh, when it, maybe a kid comes in, um, like you come in. I'm going to use you for an example. You got multiple A's on this very rigorous math concept. And I'm, I'm going to support you. Casey, you're a smart kid, man. You are really good at math, right? So I'm going to try and build some sort of connection by supporting you and your behaviors. Where I push back on this a little bit is in the moments that I've had with students and staff and whomever, I don't need to support them. I need to build empathy. And that's what I want to do. And so when I have a kid who's in my office because he just punched somebody, I need to let them know that I empathize with their frustration. The phrase that I often use, always use, is you're allowed to be frustrated. You're not allowed to to, to ruin a relationship. You're not allowed to be angry or not allowed to lose control of your frustration. You're not allowed to be violent or make somebody else unsafe. And so I need to spend the first, however long being empathetic to their action because most actions are understandable. What do you think?
1: My littlest, she just turned five and she gets frustrated. She gets mad. Sometimes she takes it out on the dog (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> what i always tell her is like hey it's okay to be mad but it's not okay to give your mad to others yeah. and you know for a five-year-old that sort of makes sense like she's mad and now she's you know taking out the dog or you know right. she's stomping around and, and yelling at people and it's like and um I so even do that like so- that so
0: pushing into zuzu what are you mad about right so then if she can articulate what she's mad about um, there's empathy of, yeah, I understand that. I understand that uh, mommy said you couldn't do that. And that makes you upset. I get upset too when I don't get what I want.
1: Well, and it, it, what we're doing is we're giving her permission to feel whatever yes. she wants to, whatever she's yes. feeling. And I think that that is a place where a lot of uh, my my teachers struggle is they don't think kids should be allowed to have whatever feeling they're having. They don't think kids should be allowed to not want to do the schoolwork or to not like the subject. And I I gave my students permission to not like anything we do. Yeah, you don't have to like this.
0: You don't have to like English. And yeah. it's my job to actually get you to a place that you at least can tolerate it or appreciate it. That's my job. You don't have to like it. Um, and so I think that component is – to me, I, I always start there. You don't have to, but I always start there. It has, there has to be empathy. The child, the parent, the teacher needs to understand that you understand not their specific moment, but you understand their frustration. You understand why they're angry. You understand why they're sad. You understand why they don't like whatever. So empathy is number one.
1: Let me defend, uh, Larry here, uh, Larry Thompson a bit in his use of the word support though. Cause I wonder he he's probably worked with a lot of teachers who struggle with that empathy component. Yep. And cause, because because I, I definitely see that and it, it maybe it's more often true with the secondary, although I don't know, I haven't spent a lot of time in the elementary. But if we use a phrase like support, then it might help that teacher tie it to the thing that they're offering the kid. If we just say empathy it might be a little tougher because we do, I have, you know, I work with some adults who characterize kids and empathy just doesn't come naturally to them.
0: I don't disagree. And so I'm not saying it has to be empathy over support. Um, I have just found that there are moments where I can support you and I can support your behaviors and I can support your, your strengths. I find that for me, that comes out through empathy. Sure. Sure. So I can, maybe I can, I can tuck empathy under support. And to your point, you can't, su- tuck support under empathy and the reason why i'm going to choose empathy is because later on i'm going to say if we are truly trying to teach to teach kids and grow kids as holistic humans empathy is a component that i feel like holistically we have lost Um, and so i want to i want to teach it and then later on i'm going to force them to to feel it (laughs) towards the others, right? And so that's why I think empathy is kind of a, a key component. But number one is support. So number two for five um, is expectations. And this is why it's incredibly important that you have clear expectations, school-wide, classroom-wide, whatever it might be, your house, right, for you as a parent. Um, and we communicated this with our, with our parents too, um, right? So in my home, we have expectations. In my school, we have expectations, but we had to communicate this with our parents as well, saying, listen, we're going to hold ourselves accountable to this, and you can hold us accountable. We're going to hold your children accountable. And also, when you come into my office or you come into our school, we're going to hold you accountable. This is our foundational beliefs. And so if you can get the child and you supported them or the parent, you supported them, you've walked through empathy, whatever it might be, then you can literally point to the poster or you can talk. Now, what expectations were broke in your actions? Where did you not follow through our school-wide expectations? And that gives the child an ability, something foundational that they can grab to. Now children are fantastic at finding ways around it and finding ways out of it. Um, but if it's concrete, you keep pointing back to it, okay, I hear you, that makes sense. I understand why you would believe that. However, were you empathetic? Were you did you persevere? You know uh, where did you act in integrity? If I have this foundational piece, I don't need to get emotional and I don't get lost in the weeds. I just we keep coming back to this foundational truth.
1: I think uh, clear expectations. So I think in life, one of the things that allows us to move forward is clarity, clarity in what our purpose is for the day. So when I talk to my teachers about, hey, you, you, is is the success criteria clear to your students? Are the expectations clear to the students? Right. So clarity is is vitally important. And did you teach them?
0: Right. We can't get a kid in trouble if you haven't communicated it and taught it.
1: Absolutely. And because these things that we're talking about are foundational, these things we should come back to weekly, maybe in some cases daily. Um, When I met with my newest teacher group, so those who have been in the building just the last couple of years, and we were just coming back from break and we met right away. And one of the things I emphasize is, Hey guys, they've had a couple of weeks off. Kids have different expectations at home. One of the most important things you can do now that we're back is just go through those expectations yep. again. And you should revisit yep. those often as often yep. as needed.
0: Reteach, reteach, reteach. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so I had my mid year evaluation from, from my bosses a little bit ago and um, near the end, they said, uh, what is it that we can do to support you? And I said, truly, um, I've had a couple different moments where people have gone to my bosses about me and the, the decisions I've made or or I've called them um knowing I'm gonna have a hard conversation with a staff or a parent. And I've kind of called them and said, Hey, here's where I'm at. What do you think? And we have come up with a a solution. We've come up with with a here's how we're gonna handle it, here's what you need to do. And then I go into those conversations and I told them, I said, It's almost enjoyable walking into those conversations when I know the foundation beneath me isn't shifting. When I know if a parent or teacher calls, you're not going to throw me under the bus. And that is the importance of this foundational of expectations, is that we can actually act pretty freely and engage in conflict and and struggles in a healthy manner because we're not shifting.
1: I commend your supervisors for that question. What a great question from your supervisor. I'm trying to think if I've ever had somebody who was my supervisor ask a question, how can I support you? And, and I don't know if I've ever been asked that question. I think that's a great question.
0: I love it. Um, I was just asked yesterday by one of my teachers. They're like, what is your educational plan? Because, <laughs> you know, you kind of hopped around a little bit. And I said, uh, in all honesty, I'm not leaving Great Falls. Um, where I work is pretty special and largely because I trust my, my supervisors, their integrity and I trust their foundational beliefs. So, um, expectations is important. So you have support. Number one, uh, you remind them of the expectations and allow them to, to work through where they did not follow, um, the expectations of the school. And then number three, um, is a breakdown. And the breakdown is they have to describe how the expectation was not met. Now, what I love about this RCD process is that the the workload is on the student. It is not me as the principal. This is what you didn't do, and this is what you didn't do, and this is what you need to do. It is The ownership is on the student, which from my limited understanding of our upcoming youth is one of the biggest components that they are missing, which is responsibility, personal responsibility. I don't know about you, but what I hear often from students and from some of my parents is, well, they did it too. Well, they were cursing too. Well, they were unkind too. And there's this very quick pushing ownership or pushing the responsibility on somebody else that forced me to think this way, that forced me to act this way. And we can say, hey, yeah, you were right. What they said was unkind. What they did was not also part of our, of our foundations. And we're going to talk with them as well. But what did you do? How did you break down? on our foundations.
1: I see that a lot. I don't know if it's new or not. I think it's always been a challenge because this was something I actually did think about quite a bit was why do we avoid taking responsibility? And, you know, sometimes we're just embarrassed. Um, Sometimes we just have a very different opinion or we're overwhelmed. But I see a lot of the victim mentality. And if you have not truly been victimized, and you have a victim's mentality that is so unhealthy. Um, it, there's, you can't progress through the world and no one wants to help you when you are crying yeah. foul constantly. And yeah. so it's very difficult to work with students when they are acting as if they are being victimized. Now, I think we should, you know, have some grace for kids. They're kids, sure. right? And they're sure. trying to figure out the world. And, um, I, we can't forget that. So even if it is a little bit difficult and they're, you know, playing the victim's role, um, we can have some grace for that and work with them.
0: Where this is a powerful for me, and it's a, it's a constant truth that I always try to bring to mind when I'm having conflict with somebody. Um, when it comes to how did I not meet the expectations, and I'm trying to force my students. I remember a time when I was a teacher, uh, I was living overseas, and um, I had some conflict with a fellow teacher on a spring trip. I was the leader of the spring trip. It was international. <clears throat> and um, she and I did not see eye to eye on some some events. And I kind of called her on it. I was like, hey, we have kids here. I need you present. I need you with the, the team. We're in a foreign country and we're doing some pretty crazy things. Uh, I can't have you kind of diving off to go shop on these little side shops. And she got very, very frustrated and she ended up calling my bosses. And in the midst of calling my bosses, she accused me of some pretty egregious things uh truly terrible things that I I mean I was hot and I was angry. And on all honesty, if it would have been 10, 15 years later, I probably would have been fired on the spot because they were that egregious. I went back to uh we got we finished up the spring trip, went back, and pretty quickly everyone knew this was not true. Right? Her accusations were not true. Uh the defense of the people, the other staff members that were on the spring trip, they're like, that's absolutely not true. Not even remotely true. But I was angry, and I wanted blood from for this lady. And I knew her, her, her accusations were pretty egregious. And so I went to one of my fellow teachers. She was an English teacher. Her name was Allison Allen, probably one of the best people I've ever worked with. And I said, Allison, like, I'm so angry at this accusation. And she just kind of looked at me, and she said, first and foremost, time will tell, right? Truth will come out in the end, which it did. And at the very near the end of the year, she had accused my bosses of similar things. And they're like, Nah, maybe this is just part of her mo. And she was, was getting out of hard conversations by just uh, strong accusations. But then this lady said, however, what's a nugget of truth? Where can you grow from this accusation? Because if it's false, it's false. But is there something you can do to ensure that you can never be accused of this again? And it was, I was angry at her in the moment because I wanted her just to defend me. But I've taken that forever in saying, even when I am the absolute victim of a situation, there's still something that I can do better. I can still grow and I can still learn. And so even with my kids who come in and they have all the reasons to be angry and I can empathize with their plight and I can say, yes, you are right. You are right. You're right. All of your frustrations toward this person is, is correct. However, where can you do better? Well, and you still not uphold these foundational truths.
1: Yeah. And I had told you before that I was taking that, uh, the science of well being class. And yeah. one of the things that it talks about is that if, if you are able to, no matter what your situation is, kind of identify what your your goal is, what an outcome is that you desire and come up with a plan of action, like you're just going to be happier. We talked last week about actionable language. So I hate that if someone you know says I did something wrong or that I messed up or accuses me of something, I hate how I feel. Cause I feel that way, even if it's untrue. Yeah. But on the other hand, I don't want to change that about me because I know what it's going to force me to do is reflect and yeah. think on it and figure out how to be better for it. And, and to your point, that's what okay. I, I think that's a, a healthy way to, to, to be happy and to, to feel good. About and it kind yourself. of
0: defeats, even if it just, it kind of forces us out of this victim mentality where yes, I was wronged. However, what can I do better? What's my role? So we have support or empathy. Um, Then expectations, kind of reviewing what are the school or classroom or household expectations. Number three is having the student break down why they, how they did not live up to those expectations. And then number four, and this is where my full circle on empathy is the benefit, right? You have to describe because they might say, I hate English. I I don't want to do it. I can't stand it. Yeah, I know I didn't do the assignment. I hate English is coming up with a benefit of why it's important for them to engage in this activity or to not engage in whatever activity. Now, this is where I wanna say the the empathetic part comes in is because I can say, okay, you hate English. You want nothing to do with literature. You're a math guy, you're a science guy, or you just hate school. However, when you act this way, how do you think it impacts your classmates? How do you think it impacts your teacher? And so I am forcing them to, to consider empathy because sometimes the benefit isn't just for me. Because if it's always a benefit for me, that's a pretty selfish life. If I can force them to be empathetic, I'm beginning to train their mind of sometimes your actions affect other people and you have to be mindful of that.
1: I actually really appreciate that because I think one of the struggles I see when engaging a student is it's very difficult to define for another human what's going to benefit them, but it might be a little easier to define what will benefit a, a collection of people Right. And avoiding the disruptions, of, you know, avoiding the chaos, allowing yes. the the class to function in a healthy and meaningful way. Yeah. Like all of that's good because you can't define for somebody else what is good for them, what they what right. would make their life better.
0: Yeah. And so here's where and it's this is a, a, a hard component. And I will say that with my staff, we try and go through this uh pretty consistently. We've kind of lost sight in the last little bit with with map testing and all the other things this process takes forever and a long time to kind of to learn and to make it natural and that's another component of varsity that i love he does not give you scripted language he just gives you kind of guidelines and he says but you got to be you you got to be who you are use your language who you are so the other day i, I have a very um, i have a section of my population that is kind of the high needs section of the school district right so if they are on, on an iep and they have some very high needs they get shipped to this section of my school and I was with one kid uh, for an hour and a half. <laughs> uh, I would go and chat with him and he would get angry and he'd start kicking and screaming and, and punching. And so I'd leave for two minutes, come back in. I just in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And this RCD process is kind of going through my head. And so I had to walk through the empathy of like, I understand this is frustrating. But then to this point, the benefit point, I was like, kiddo, you are so fantastic, at seeing the wrong in the world. You are so good at articulating how this person offended you. You're not real great at understanding that your behaviors impact other people as well. And so some of that empathy was when they say this to you, how does it make you feel? It makes me feel angry this, that, and the other. You're absolutely right. How might these words impact the other people? And so that was trying to kind of hit this benefit of when you say these words, they feel the exact same way and you're making other people feel how you feel right now. And not that I'm like this anything, but it was one of those rare moments where after an hour and a half of discussion, he's kind of calmed down. You could see it kind of sinking in. And then he was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for kicking you. I'm sorry for getting angry. And he walked to the other teachers and apologized as well. It was a moment of multiple failure moments, a moment of victory that I I did want to celebrate that you just see like, no, this works. If you can be patient enough and walk through the process, it works.
1: So, so where's the discipline? Where's the punishment?
0: It's great. So, uh, and my teacher's ask me that all the time. Okay. (laughs) Where's the punishment? Sometimes we don't always need a punishment. There are natural consequences that I love. Uh, right. So sometimes the natural consequence is you missed out on recess or you missed out on PE because you're in here with me because you acted this way. Sometimes the natural consequence is, um, uh, a broken relationship that you need to go mend and the 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 vulnerability of apologizing. And there are consequences at times. To my point earlier, when I said there are very few behaviors that change instantly, um, a kid doesn't really put his hands on a boiling water, uh, a pot of boiling water more than once, right? Pretty quickly, they learn that that's not going to, that's painful. It takes a lot of time for us to change behaviors. And we are not in the behavior modification business. We're in the changing people business and changing people takes a hell of a long time. Especially the older that they are, those behaviors and those mindsets are ingrained. And so putting the ownership back on students. And so what I wanna also add to this is, your question is fantastic. If I give all the consequences, I'm enforcing my will. It's not personal. Um, What did I read uh, the other day? It said, people support the things that they help to build. Okay. People help support the things they help to build that applies to, to behaviors. Kids will change their behaviors when they help build it. And so when I have a kid who is kind of a repeat offender on a certain thing, and I've had a kid in my class, he's been in my office for three days straight. And a lot of those times he's doing nothing. And teachers are kind of like, what is he doing? He's doing nothing. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. He's doing nothing because he's doing the heavy lifting. I have told him our interventions are not working. So I am done giving you opportunities. It has to be yours. And so the consequence, he's missing out on classes. And I agree. And my teachers are frustrated. I'm like, I hear you. But if we don't get control of these behaviors, he will always be missing classes. And he will always be disrupting classes. So his heavy lifting is he has to come up with his own interventions and his own consequences. And when he makes it personal, his behavior is oftentimes in the long end, in the long game, his behaviors will change because he's invested in it. And it's not me telling him what to do.
1: Well, and I would argue too that, and I, I wish all teachers understood this, that a kid who l- left with um, less impulsivity, who who had more self-control, if they finish your class with better self-control, but no understanding of math or something like that actually is more important that a kid is, is disciplined. So here's... Uh, I just want to think about what discipline truly is. We think of it often as an action, I will discipline you. But what we're really saying is we want individuals to be disciplined enough to make good choices. And so to me, and you'd really have to work with the staff to get this understanding. No, I didn't give them a discipline. I worked with them to be more disciplined, to have more self-control. And honestly, the idea of carrots and sticks, that has, I've always struggled with that. I've never functioned that way in my class. And there's really a great deal of evidence that that doesn't work well. There's- It can um,
0: work at times and in small things. It works for small things, not big stuff.
1: It's not lasting either. And there's, uh, in fact, so Mark Moraven, who is, he's at the University of New Albany. He did some research. And if you do something, if you have self-control because someone else is making you, it is exhausting. You Mm -hmm. will get tired and you will run out of self-control. But if you're doing it because you're choosing it, then that is a, that lasts longer. You, you will have more self-control. And so, when you're making threats or you're offering up rewards, those are in- extrinsic and it, you're not going to be able to exhibit your self-control for, it for very long. But if you learn like, hey, here's why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I'm choosing. And we use that word autonomy all the time. This is what autonomy looks like. Autonomy means I am doing this thing because I want to, not because I'm being made to.
0: You mentioned a little bit ago that it takes time for the staff to buy into this. And you're absolutely right. Staff, I think in, in all fairness, they want their kids to be better. When they send them to the office, they don't want them coming back with, you know, hugs from the principal or candy or whatever is. They want discipline. They want consequences because they, they are pretty exhausted. If most of my teachers, um, if a kid has come to my office, it's because they've exhausted their resources and they just need it, if nothing else, a break. We can't change behavior by consequences. We change behavior through constant growing of discipline. We're going to discipline ourselves to not engage in these interactions. We're going to discipline ourselves to think differently about our staff. And that takes a considerable amount of time, which I'm just going to add this one little component to his belief that I think is very crucial is he says, there is the Bermuda Triangle of communication. And what he means by that is that, you know if you think of the Bermuda Triangle, there's all these things that happen that no one really knows what happens, but it's destructive. And that's what happens consistently with teachers, students, and principal, right? There's a breakdown of communication somewhere in there. And so when they send them to the office and they don't know what's going on, they don't, they're not privy to the conversation, they're not followed up with, there's a lot of misinformation. And so a lot of maybe unfair accusations come out of it, which is fair because there's not communication. And so in all of this, when they come to my office, when I'm working with staff, working with students, there needs to be constant communication of here's what we did, here's why we're doing it, here's where they're at here's a process moving forward. Okay. Anything else on that really quick?
1: No. What's your, what's your last point there then from game five?
0: So you got support um, expectations, breakdown benefit. And then the last one is closure. And I think this is kind of an important piece as well. And this is the only one that has to remain at the end. Clearly you can't have closure in the beginning, Uh, but the closure component is how are you going to wrap this up? First of all, in such a way that there's clarity between you and the student or you and the staff or you and the parent, but also so that there's a, an insurance that your relationship is intact, right? And so this is where it becomes very personalized. However that looks like to you, whether it's a, a poundage uh, or a fist, a side hug, uh, whatever it might be, words of affirmation, there has to be a closure of we're on the same side. We're still moving together. I still love you. I still care for you. And we are clear about what happened, and we are clear about what's going to happen.
1: A while back, you and I talked, and you had mentioned that a lot of parents come in and just want to know that the teacher likes their child. And I think that that's true. There are some of us who don't care if we're liked or, or not, although I would argue that that's maybe not quite true. But I think being liked is important. And If a struggle occurs and those individuals involved in the struggle are going to move forward and continue to be able to work together, they have to know that they care and and have respect for each other. Otherwise, there's just no way people are going to shut down. The story I told earlier, that teacher accused me and I, I just was out. I'm like, I'm done with you. Not interested in this anymore. By the way, closure to that story. About six or seven years later, I was working with that same teacher. We were colleagues (laughs) and his daughter was in my class. Nice. And, uh, and it was a a really great year and she was a a heck of a kid and, and I respected him, uh, you know, as a colleague, he was, um, easy enough to work with. But one day he came to my classroom and just stood in my doorway for a second, a little awkward. He's just standing there. I'm like, Hey, you know, how's it going? You know, I wasn't quite sure what was up. (laughs) And he's like, I just want you to know uh, that sometimes I-, I wish I, you know, I was a little more like you as a teacher.
0: Mm.
1: And I'm like, thanks. And, and mm. I-, I still don't know exactly what he meant because he just said that thing and then he walked away, mm. but it, it did change things. Um, and, and so it took a long he probably time. didn't Remember
0: that specific moment with you, but he probably could acknowledge that. There was a yeah. brokenness and he somehow had to fix it.
1: Yeah. And the reason I wanted to, to finish that story is because I don't think it's ever too late to try to find that closure. So if, if you have messed up somewhere along the line and you feel like it's too late to fix that, I don't think that's true. We can get closure.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was called the cowardly lion by Patrick Lynchioni, And they were talking about courage to have hard conversations. <clears throat> and one of the, in their discussion, um, one of his co-hosts said, why don't we walk into hard conversations? If we know that there's an uh, an error, if we know that something's broken, whether it be our relationship or our uh, understanding of expectations, why don't we have the hard conversations? And one of the uh, hosts said, well, it's because the the destruction in our mind is almost always more worse than what will actually happen. We build up in our minds, How terrible it's going to go our relationship is broken and to your point they're not going to forgive me they're going to be so mad at me it's too late we build up all this this mountain of devastation when in reality it's probably going to go pretty good you know for, for that guy specifically which good on him for just kind of acknowledging that and having that awkward moment uh he probably envisioned in his head Casey hates me or Casey's mad at me or I don't know what he was thinking but Ended up having a, an awkward conversation and it was great. And I'm assuming your guest's working relationship was, was yeah. improved there on after. And it was awesome. Yeah. And it just was a simple acknowledgement of, I hear you. I see you. We're good.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's cool. You're okay. Thanks for sharing that story.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. Hey,
0: so we're, actually we're... to put closure to my story, uh, her and I have actually become fairly uh close again. Um, and it was, it was a while. Um, I obviously, Trust issues with her, Uh, but her and I—we banter on Facebook. We're we're good again. Never really fully closure, but just kind of like a, all right, let's move on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and to have grace and forgiveness, so healthy, and you're going to be better for that. Yeah, for sure, man.
0: Empathy, brother. So, anyways, that's my that's my plug for RCD, uh, responsibility center discipline. What I love most about it is it's structured. Um, It's five components that I desperately believe are healthy to any relationship and restoration, Um, but it puts ownership on students. It gives teachers and parents guidelines, but it puts ownership on our students or on our kids to, to come up with their own solutions and to walk through the issue on their own. It's not just me, a sage on a stage, shouting words of, this is why you're screwing up and this is what I need you to do. And this is what you're going to do. Otherwise, consequence, consequence, consequence. It's how can we be better people?
1: Yeah. And I think that's a great point because what I've noticed here, we've, we've struggled a little bit of late and I think it's largely because we are taking these problems and we are pushing them back and forth amongst the adults in our building. When in reality, it should be up to the kids to figure out so that they can grow as people.
0: Yeah. And let's just be empathetic even amongst ourselves, because uh, when you have Twenty some kids in your class. Nobody ha- like this. The the component to this is time. There needs to be time, and we struggle with time. So let's say I, a teacher brings a kid to my office. Of course, they want to do that. But in the midst of working with this kid through RCD, I get called to this other room because there's a blow up over there. I get a phone call from a parent. Or I have a meeting. So it's it's a time issue, and so it's not going to be perfect always. But the goal is, I think, to to have a plan, and this is a very specific plan that I think everyone can be on board with. But that doesn't mean it changes things in a moment. It's always going to be a process in the same way that like in your history class or my English classes, just because I had a fantastic dynamic lesson on poetry doesn't mean my kids love poetry and understand poetry forever. It takes a ton of time. It takes a ton of work. But this to me, I think um, it, it gives us something tangible to work towards that I believe truly does have an impact for children rather than just a carrot and stick. I'm going to hammer out this behavior right now in my classroom because in the next year it can be your problem, right? No, we need to, we need to solve it now together collectively. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Appreciate Are you that, ready man. for this? I'm going to give you a moment of pause. Are you ready for this? Okay. All right. All right. I took, take away I, of today.
1: <laughs> so I wrote down the first thing you said, just so I had something ready to go.
0: <laughs> no, I love uh, that.
1: No, actually one of the first things you said, immediately resonated with me though. And that was when you talked about you have to have the staff identify what framework you are going to follow so that they have ownership of this thing. Otherwise, there will not be buy-in and this will not work. And that's something I've I've been thinking about is how to get buy-in, uh, how to create a framework for us to follow. And so I think that's a great point you made.
0: And I think without it, you have a lot of unintentional and well-meaning Conflict that doesn't need to be there. So you mentioned we spent the last two weeks. What are some uh, barriers that we can unintend What is what's the phrase? Some uh, unneeded barriers. What was it? I forget.
1: Unnecessary barriers. Yeah. Unne-
0: there it is. Unnecessary barriers. One unnecessary barrier is that we are trying to head in the same direction, but none of us have the same language or expectations, and so we're we have false accusations of people or incomplete um, opinions of people. We're we're trying to do the same thing. We just don't have the same foundation and the same language. And so when you provide that to people, you get rid of a ton of confusion and a ton of irritation with each other because now we know where we're going and the language to use. Um, yeah. So, hey, well done, by the way. Paul, that, yeah. that, was, that was good. That um, was awesome. Yeah. I'm actually going to need a little <laughs> bit of your support because I didn't write it down. But what you said to Zuzu, you said it's okay to be mad, but it's not okay to. It's okay to be mad. It's not okay to give it to others. I like that so that's a pretty simple phrase that i'll probably steal mm-hmm. it's okay to be mad it's not okay to give it to others so that's a good takeaway for me as well and in all honesty i think that's what we do in education all the time we we invest so much in this profession we invest so much of our time and we sacrifice so much that when things don't go well or we feel like somebody's not pulling their weight or we feel like an administrator's not coming down and supporting us with discipline and consequences we get mad because we just want to do well and we want to love our kids well and we want to do great things. And sometimes we just feel isolated or exhausted. And so uh be mad. And as a as a leader, as a as a husband, as a friend, I need a lot of people to be mad and not take it so damn personal. Just hey, you're mad and you have a right to be mad. Let's walk through it together. So all right. Yeah, hey right. brother, I appreciate you and I appreciate our time. Any unsolicited uh advertisement, a book or a podcast or a You song? can't
1: ask me more than one. <laughs> question at the end of an episode Um, Uh, i got one answer Uh,
0: okay i will throw out one then Um, and it's um uh the five dysfunctions of a team by patrick Lincioni. i reference this guy quite a bit he's kind of pretty foundational in a lot of the ways that i think in in work and uh, i developed a um, a staff evaluation so it's not an evaluation of me it's our staff evaluating ourselves and I use his five dysfunctions as kind of a framework, and I spent three or four hours last night, kind of going through. They turned them in last night, and it was very enlightening. It was also very encouraging because, as you hear a lot of um, negative things, right? We tend to gravitate towards negative talk, and you kind of hear this: well, people are thinking over this, that, and the other. You began to think that that's the that's the truth, holistic truth. Then you get the scope and sequence of our entire. Here's what our staff thinks, and it's super encouraging. There is one or two things that they identified as a problem, but our strength in our staff is that they are committed to the process and they are committed to the results. And so I can present it like I'm going to today and say, here's our faults. Here's where we are identifying as our faults. But the good part about it is all of you are fully committed to the process and wanting to get better. And so it's, it's just fun. So if you can pick up the book, uh, The Five Dysfunctions, of a team, a uh, leadership fable. It's so he tells it in a, in a fable sort of way uh, by Patrick Lynchioni. Unpaid advertisement. There you go.
1: Awesome, man. Thanks.
0: All for right, that. brother. Until next week. Do great things.
1: And keep knocking.
0: All right. See you, bud. See ya.